The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. It's useful to check now and just see what the, what's left over. <clears throat> maybe some disgust or maybe a more cool, equanimous feeling. We're not trying to cultivate any disgust for the body, but just it's really a way of uprooting a view of the body that has limitations. Like if we have sort of a disgust for the body, this can neutralize that. Well, it's just these piles. And if you find at least some bodies attractive, it can neutralize that craving. And I'll talk about this. But, you know, it's sort of like how our mind acts out attachment is different for different people. So if you don't have, if you don't notice a lot of attraction around bodies, what's that new movie out? Magic Mike? Is that what it's called? (laughs) So... It's about some male strippers. Evidently, they have very well-sculpted abs in the film. Maybe somebody is willing to report and having seen the movie. <laughs> but anyway, this may not fit for you like that. Maybe that's not your thing, sort of being attracted to bodies. But it's useful to open it, open that up because even if you're like not feeling so sexually attracted to certain bodies, you might be attracted to youthfulness. And you may be disgusted with, you know, the flabbiness of the skin or the grayness of the hair or the... So one way or another, it's a pretty deep imprint in our minds to evaluate ourselves and each other according to the superficial appearance of the body. Like, what it looks like from this perspective, looking in a mirror, looking at each of us, each other in the ways that we do. So these last three um, meditation techniques that are in the Satipatthana Sutta, this discourse on the mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of the mind, and mindfulness of the maps that the Buddha uses. So these are the four foundations. The first that we're doing this summer is mindfulness of the body. And there are a number of meditations. So there's mindfulness of the breath and body, mindfulness of postures, mindfulness of daily activities, reaching, sitting, lying, pooping. So all the different things we do, chewing. And then the last three, mindfulness of the body parts. Next week, mindfulness of the four elements. And then last week, mindfulness of the decomposition of the body. They're specifically designed to uproot some habits. So this practice, the 32 body parts, uproots seeing the body as attractive. But that doesn't mean we're trying to see it as disgusting. We're just trying to, we're trying to uproot. However, whatever the mind finds Remember, if you find the body disgusting, 
generally there's a opposite of it. Like, oh, this body's disgusting, but this body's not disgusting, right? So we're uprooting that habit of evaluating the body in terms of good and bad. That's what this one does. The four elements meditation that we'll do next week uproots the sense of self associated with the body. And then the decomposition, or the sometimes called the corpse meditation, we're uprooting the sense of a permanent, some, something permanent to the body, about the body. So we're just, and it makes sense that we would like to live our life without these wrong views, because the body isn't just this sort of decorated thing that we see on the surface. Like there's a, just a second hand, there's a line from one of the texts about how you know, no mother, no father would be, you know, if their child was turned inside out, that would be a different thing. We really, we relate quite a bit to the visual, the visual perception of other beings in ourselves. But just get a sense of how surface that is and how it changes, you know, if we were all to look at somebody in the room and, uh, and just using our imagination, realizing, you know, oh yeah, that's hair of the body, that's skin. So we're not letting the mind, right, this is the habit of the conceptualizing mind where it immediately replaces the experience with a concept. That's Pierre. And so we're kind of, no, that's skin. In terms of the visual experience, you know, I call that skin. And I know something about skin. That's hair. I know something about hair. Those are nails. There's a famous story about somebody's wife, I think, uh, left him. And, uh, you know, back then, for sure, and even now, you know, sort of a patriarchal culture and, and women didn't have a lot. And so what they did have is their jewelry and their saris. And so she had an abusive husband, she left. Husband was searching for her and came across a, a monk and said, did you see, and he describes his wife, you know, this beautiful woman, red sari, bangles on her wrists. And no, didn't see any of that. And then the guy said, are you sure? I mean, I can't imagine what other road she went down. And he said, well, I saw teeth. You know, I saw hair. So it's like, what do we tune into when we see beings? Because we all have our own particular habits. And I've really seen this about my conditioning about how I see bodies. And it's very pronounced. And I, and I notice how it's very much related to disgust and attraction. Even if it's subtle. And often it's not so subtle. And it's not something to be proud of, but it's not something to be ashamed of either, because it's not personal. It's cultural and probably even genetic. I think it is genetic conditioning, you know, the, the way that we see shapes. That's why certain creatures, like there were some bunnies in my backyard today, I was watching them, you know, and there's just something about the way bunnies look that sort of big eyes, right? It's like, like children right, have proportionally bigger eyes to their head than adults do. So it's like, it does something that affects us. Same with shape, affects our minds. 
what we notice. And did you have a thought or? But remember, this this isn't supposed to be truth. This is supposed to uproot wrong view. So it's really important to remember we're not in this these contemplations. This one, four elements is a little different, but in the decomposition that we'll do the last week, we're trying to affect some of the habits of how we think of how we imagine bodies to be. So. Your job is not to pay attention to the energy body. Your job is to notice these piles of things in front of you and to notice what that effect is on the mind, right? Because if you're contemplating the energy body, you're doing something different. No, no, I'm just saying that that you don't have to, you're, you're basically, uh, and it, that's why you don't even need to do all the piles. It's, a, it's not about getting all the piles out there. It's about realizing that there are nails, Right? So there's just sort of the relative reality. And you'll, it traditionally, like people would get to the point where they wouldn't have to do all the body parts and they'll just bring to mind skeleton. And that would be the contemplation. They just contemplate skeleton. And that would sort of be a substitute for however they might imagine the body. Because you can get just identified to the energy body as you can to having a youthful figure or whatever else, you know, big muscles or you know, sturdy jaw or, you know, whatever you kind of like about our bodies and, and then ignoring what we don't like, you can get just as identified with feeling the energy of the body as you can with any sort of what we might call more superficial thing, like having really nice nails or really nice teeth or really good hair or whatever people get identified with. And those of you who've shaved your head know, I mean, it's it's easy to say, yeah, that's just hair. But then when it's gone, <laughs> some of you know this, <laughs> or when you shave it off, it's like amazing. Just something that simple. Or, you know, when people, something happens to them. You know, they have a lot of mucus. It's kind of amazing. You're just like all that stuff pouring out of your body. Or vomiting, or diarrhea, or all these other things. But we tend not to contemplate it. Like in this balanced, objective, not emotionally charged way. Oh, that's what that is. That was a lot of fluid that just flew through me and I was there in the toilet bowl. Okay, that's like that. Or whatever else, you know, we see the sweat. We don't really contemplate the body in this way and it changes how we are. And if you don't think, I mean, there may be exceptions to this, but it's worthy if you think this doesn't have an effect on how your mind organizes reality, like do look at some of the autopsies that are online and you really see that it changes things. Like when we realize what all these bodies are that are 
that we're interacting with all the time, that there are these pumps pumping blood and there are these lungs doing this. And that's as real as anything is real, too. So let me just read a couple things and then uh, I'm going to share a few things before we break up into small groups tonight. And you'll have time to share your experiences with the 32 body parts tonight and then hopefully during this last week you had time to explore these practices. And also just more generally, kind of as you move about, just realizing the body's made up of parts, like keeping that in view, right? So we think about all kinds of things all day long. Let's keep that in view for a while, for this next week especially, and then the following week, the four elements, and then the following week, the decomposition of the body. And notice how that changes, not just how we are with the body, how we relate to bodies, but how that changes our reality, like our experience in the world. So this is from Bhante Gunaratana's book on the Eightfold Path, in the section, chapter um, on um, mindfulness of the body. We do not ordinarily look at the body in this analytical way. We do not even think of the body parts, the body's parts, except when something goes wrong or when we suffer aches and pains. The Buddha referred to this meditation by a Pali word that means going against the grain. Right? So a suba, you know, sometimes it gets badly translated as like the repulsive aspect of the body. But it's really going against the grain because when we conceptualize body, we package it in a way that looks nice. And so, you know, it's like other things. You know, if we really, the meat we buy in the stores, for example, it's kind of packaged in a way that makes it feel okay, but it could be packaged in other ways. You know, you go to other cultures and the head is still there. And we don't like that. Right? That's not, that doesn't make it look good to us in terms of something to eat. That kind of connecting it with the whole body or that it was a living being. So it matters how we organize these things. So going against the grain. By this, he meant that in doing this meditation, we go against the normal ways we think about the body. Normally, people experience feelings of loathing when they think about certain parts of the body. They carry these parts inside their bodies very willingly and hold them very dear. But when they think about them, they feel disgust. Now, I don't know if, hopefully some of you did, but I'd encourage all of you to go to the website that I sent the link to last week. And very quickly, in just a few minutes, if you don't have time, you can click on each of the 32 body parts and you get a little picture. And I I did that today. And it's just interesting the effect on the mind, even something this. This isn't even watching an autopsy, which is even more provocative to see somebody cutting open a body and removing the parts. But just to see a picture and to really like be there in a more relaxed, uh, objective way, you're not trying to have any effect and just notice what the effect is. And I was mentioning it to... Uh, Stacy, who I was meeting with earlier, and, uh, you know, I get the same, and I think a lot of us get the same thing when we observe living creatures, especially ones that are not so easy to personify, like insects. 
you know, and if, especially when you see a lot of insects, like a lot of ants, or a lot of a certain kind of bug, and you're just looking, you're just gazing, receiving, and there can be a very primal repulsion when you see that. Like if you move a, a old rotting log away and you see a lot of slugs or something like that, or you, there's a lot of maggots. Now why? Because it, it, it reveals this impersonal nature of life. It kind of reveals like what's behind the curtain, <laughs> you know, the surface of the skin. It's just like biology, just nature doing its thing. And we tie it up in a package and we even dress that package up. And then it's easier to imagine that it represents something. So it's really a powerful um, sort of device to deconstruct it in this way. Other people get attached to certain parts of their body, seeing them as beautiful and permanent. They feel pride about their good looks, their good health or strength, their energy body, you know, whatever it is. This meditation can help get rid of these diluted notions. It helps us see the body as it is without rejecting it or clinging to it. There's a very provocative um, sutta that I wanted to share part of. Some of you have heard it before, but it's one of the most graphic. So if it's a little offensive, just try to... It's supposed to be, I guess, in a way. But the Buddha wanted to really talk about, you know, he, he wanted, especially for nuns and monks maybe who have been practicing and have a lot of tranquility, right? Their mind really knows how to calm down. And so maybe using more provocative images to kind of paint a picture of the depth of the mind's addiction to sense experience. So addicted that it's very hard to question our attraction to sense experience. And we really see it with silly things like, you know, how we might be really attached to our nails or our hair or not having, you know, extra flesh in certain parts of our body or having a lot of flesh in certain parts of our body, right? It's like these things, but they don't underestimate how deep this goes. And we notice it when it gets challenged. But if it isn't challenged, if, it, if it, we don't point it out to ourselves, we may never realize the depth of that attachment to body and to more generally sense experience. So here's how the sutta goes. So it's this very famous simile of a leper. Suppose there was a leper covered with sores and infections, devoured by worms, picking the scabs off and opening his wounds with his nails, he'd cauterize his body over a pit of glowing embers. His friends, companions, and relatives would take him to a doctor. The doctor would concoct medicine for him, and thanks to the medicine, he would be cured of leprosy. Well, happy, free, master of himself, going wherever he liked. Then suppose two strong people grabbed him, 
dragged him to a pit of glowing embers. What do you think? Wouldn't he twist his body this way and that way? Right? So before, when the leprosy and the open wounds and the worms and the, was driving him crazy, he would purposefully cauterize the wounds, right? Because it would give some temporary relief. But then when he's here healthy, he, no way would you let anybody do that to you. So the Buddha asks the people there that he's teaching, you know, well, what's the difference between the leper who willingly puts his worms or his wounds <laughs> and worms <laughs> over the glowing coals and later the healthy person struggling as best he can not to have that happen. So this is how they answered. Both now and before, it is painful to the touch, very hot and scorching, right? The hot coals. Master Gotama. That's what they call the Buddha. Gotama is his family name. So Master Gotama. It's just that when the man was a leper, covered with sores and infections, devoured by worms, picking off the scabs, opening his wounds with his nails, his faculties were impaired, right? He wasn't thinking clearly. Which is why, even though the fire was actually painful to the touch, he had the skewed perception of pleasant. In the same way when we scratch our itches too much, right? It feels good, but it actually doesn't. It's just a temporary good feeling. Same when we're eating food when we're already full, you know? It sort of feels good, but only because we're not really in touch in a deeper way with our experience that we overeat or we scratch or we, you know, there's a lot of things we do that are counterproductive. This is just a very graphic. So then the Buddha says, he basically concurs with what they said. And then he generalizes the point. In the same way, sensual pleasures in the past were painful to the touch. Right? That's sort of interesting. Very hot and scorching. Sensual pleasures in the future will be painful to the touch. Very hot and scorching. Sensual pleasures at the present are painful to the touch. Very hot and scorching. But when beings are not free from passion, from craving for sensual pleasures, devoured by sensual craving, burning with sensual fever, their faculties are impaired. Which is why even though sensual pleasures are actually painful to the touch, they have the skewed perception of pleasant. Now, I think it's fair to say that if you haven't seen this in your mind, you're still a real beginner. We really have to see when uh, when we're drawn to the next TV show, to more food, to wanting to get warm under the covers, to wanting to connect with another human being, to all these central pleasures that it appears to be pleasant. And it is, on the surface, pleasant. But the dependence on that experience, thinking that all my happiness comes from it, that's the hot, scorching, burning fire. We miss that. We miss the being enslaved to sense experience. And it's the same with the body. It's like we don't realize the mind's enslavement to the body until we're sick or until we find out we have cancer 
or realize I'm getting old. Or we, I saw my niece on the 4th of July. She's like 15, 16. And uh, she has a job. She dropped something on her big toe. And it's like really disgusting. <laughs> and it's like, you know, just that, that like, or you get a big zit on your face. Then you realize like how important how your face looks, right? Or something you get pink eye. Have you ever like had to go to meetings or out in public and you've got this sort of nasty thing going on or your nose is dripping? And then all of a sudden we realize it matters what we look like. Or you have intestinal gas or any number of other things. You have a lot of body odor. So to say that, it, you know, we're not, the, the, our mind is not dependent on sense experience is because we haven't really paid close attention. We'd rather not know because it's like, this is why that movie The Matrix was so engaging for people that archetypally, the, the thing about that movie, if you didn't see it, is that uh, people are basically living in a dream and then somebody wakes up from the dream and realizes it's all concoction. And this is basically represents our reality. We live in our constructions and as we begin to do these kinds of exercises, we it, it's harder for the mind to keep holding on to its constructions. They just don't make sense. I remember uh, Guy Armstrong, a really wonderful teacher from Spirit Rock and IMS, and uh, he was he practiced as a monk in Thailand for a year. And in Thailand, they have um, I don't know if you saw this when you were there, Megan, but uh, they have galleries for the monks and nuns. Well, not they don't have fully ordained women in Thailand, but anyway, for the monks to observe the autopsies. Um, and so when he was a monk, he went to one of the hospitals and spent a good part of a day just watching one on, one autopsy after another. And he said when he walked out, his, it's like seeing everybody, he couldn't help but kind of see that about everybody, like what he had been watching all day long. It just changes our view when we see something opened up like that. So let me just read uh, one more thing. Yeah, maybe I'll send that sutta out so you can read a little bit more. This is from a great book. For those, you know, we'll be going through these four foundations for the next three courses after this one. And there's a great reference book for those who really want to dig into the study. And it's written by Venerable Analeo, a, a German monk, Buddhist monk. And he's he's just amazing. And the book is Satipatthana, which is the four foundations and the direct path to realization. This one you have to buy. It isn't available online. Um, if you want to copy it down later, you can come up and take a look at it. And so this is from his section that he was writing about this particular practice. He says, the main purpose of this exercise and of contemplating the anatomical parts is to drive home the realization 
that one's own body and the bodies of others are not inherently attractive. A related nuance can be found in another discourse which refers to contemplating the anatomical constitution of the body with the heading, as below, so above, as above, so below. Right, because when you really contemplate these parts, it doesn't, you know, the skin versus the ligaments, you know, you wouldn't evaluate one higher than the other or the lungs versus the heart or the large intestine. It's like this whole kind of beauty discussed. Once you get them all arrayed like that, it's like no pile has much more value than any other pile. It's just another pile of biological stuff. So that whole thing begins to disappear. This suggests that a detached observation of the various parts of the body leads to the understanding that they are all of equal nature. Once one clearly apprehends their true nature, it becomes evident that there is nothing inherently beautiful in any particular aspect of the body, such as, for example, eyes, hair, and lips, or ugly, for that matter. And the Teragata, which is a collection of discourses or of verses from the early nuns, and I sent you an example in the email today, a nun vividly illustrates this insight by pointing out that if one were to turn the body inside out, even one's mother would be disgusted and unable to bear the smell of it. Following the instructions to contemplate the unattractive nature of the body refers in the first instance to one's own body. Realizing the absence of beauty in one's own body thereby serves in particular as a countermeasure to conceit. Subsequently, as indicated in the sutta, in the discourse, the same contemplation is then applied externally to the bodies of others. Such an external application can be a powerful antidote antidote to sensual desire. The potential of this contemplation as a countermeasure to sensuality has led to its inclusion in the Buddhist ordination ceremonies. And I mentioned this last week, that when you get ordained, like I ordained, even with temporary ordination, I did it for five months, practice as a bhikkhu, but when you get ordained, the first instruction is to take up the contemplation, hair of the head, nails of the hand and feet, skin of the body, um, teeth. Is that five? Maybe one more, I forget. But that's your first contemplation. Just to hold that in mind, to keep bringing that to mind. And it's like, You know, we have these really inflated ideas of self and really deflated. But it, in a way, like if you're going to think of this life, we got a pile of nails, a pile of teeth, a pile of skin. We have hair of the head, hair of the body, and on and on. You see, it doesn't inflate or deflate. It's just the mind is left cool. Well, it's just what it is.
Yeah, and that may be true. I mean, clearly, uh, there's patriarchy in Buddhism. There's no doubt about that. But the, it's really the, despite her, uh, historical imperfections in any spiritual tradition, it still is our responsibility to become as free and happy and compassionate as we can. So, the question is. What happens to your mind when you do it? And if it isn't a positive thing, then leave it alone and do something that has a positive result. But check it out. Don't assume it doesn't help. Check it out. See what the actual effect is on your mind. Right? And then, and then go from there. And that's, that's what you can share. Like, what was the effect? Like in the small group, which we'll break up now, what was the effect of doing that? And what got in the way of doing it? And remember, it's supposed to be a concentration practice. So that's why we, like if you're going to do this at home, repeating in your mind the name of the part that you're taking apart right now can be useful because you give the thinking mind something to do. So it's not thinking about something else. And you can even, like if you go to that website or from your own study, you can even remind yourself like about the function of that particular part. So you just sort of, seeing it in this impersonal way, that part has a function. It does this. It looks like this. It's located here. Now, seeing it as a separate pile, this is how I imagine it. And so you're, and you're kind of beating a drum. You do a part, you give it the time it needs, you connect with it, and you do the next one, and you do the next one. And then when you're done, you start over, and you do it, and you're not letting the mind go anywhere else. Honey, this is what we're going to do for a half an hour. We're contemplating the body according to these 32 parts. And like I said, you can just do fewer parts because it isn't about having all the parts arrayed there. It's about changing one's view of the body. So however you want to do it, but make it, uh, it's really about concentration because that's what will change things. Like you can, we can all do this somewhat superficially and it's going to have a superficial effect on the mind. But if you do it with a little bit more wholeheartedness, you might feel the kind of effect it can have. And just be open to any kind of emotion that comes up. Disgust, rejecting it, thinking it's stupid or whatever. And then just keep doing it for the time you've given yourself to do it. And then after you've done it a few times, then just kind of sense if it's a useful practice, if it's actually beneficial. And like, you know, there's so many practices and the Buddha had to give practices for different people and different situations. So, uh, as I mentioned last week, the, the, this practice comes with a real warning. You want to do it in a way that isn't cultivating loathing of the body because that's not the point. And if, if that's the result, either change how you're doing it or do some other practice because a lot of us, most of us maybe, don't need more loathing of the body. It has to be quick, Haya. Well, when, remember, things are relative. So if we have a sense of the body as being me, then and we start to see it in this more neutral way, that change from attraction, from attachment, 
to non-attachment is so don't don't use the word disgust use a different word but that's what i was just sharing my own experience i felt some disgust as i was looking at those body parts i don't know if there's anybody in the room who hasn't seen some body part and hasn't felt disgusted a lot of us maybe half of us when we see blood a lot of it will feel unnatural natural in the sense it's not contrived feeling of disgust so or poop you know so there, it's clearly common. I mean, I'm not the only one who feels disgust. <laughs> but we tend not to look at those parts, right? Notice what you look at when you look in the mirror. What do you contemplate? When I look at my belly, especially at a certain profile, you know, I don't look at it that way. And I know, I say sort of, I'm interested in that. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like what the visceral emotional feeling is when I look at different parts of the body. What happens when we look at our sexual organs? So we have a lot, there's such a charge around our body. Unless you're almost enlightened, I guarantee you, you have a huge blind spot about how the mind relates to the body. And it's up to each of us to find the techniques that helps to reveal what we're unaware of in terms of the charge around the body, the relationship to the body. And that's really what this course is about, is unpacking it. And that's why there are these different techniques. There are different ways to do it. Some are more provocative. This is a more provocative one. And the one we do the last week, the decomposition, is even more provocative. But we need to count right now so we have enough time for the small groups. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.